Hi folks, this is Chris. Just a quick content warning. This episode contains violent and disturbing imagery, as well as discussion of suicide. If you or someone you love is having thoughts of suicide, there is help available. Please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, toll-free, at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Free and confidential support is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also visit them online at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Don't wait. Call now. All right, here's the show. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 121. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City Story Universe. You can find more of my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you and keep you informed about my writing endeavors. So let's kick things off with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you the first part of my Metamore City story, Troubled Minds. This is a novelette that I wrote back in October 2004. I had just returned home to Michigan after finishing grad school the previous month. I was still looking for work, and as the nights grew longer and Halloween drew closer, I found myself in a dark and morbid sort of mood. I wanted to try my hand at writing a scary story, something ghostly and unsettling. I don't remember how I first came up with the inspiration for my ghost hunter, Abby Preston, but once she got into my head, she never left, which is sort of appropriate for a psychic. This story established Abby's character and laid the groundwork for Making the Cut, my first Metamore City novel. I hope you enjoy it. Troubled Minds A Tale of Metamore City Written in Red by Chris Laster Part 1 September 3rd, 1999 Christos Reckoning Abby Preston pulled her duffel bag out of the back of the taxi and let it fall to the ground with a soft whump. She looked up at the building in front of her and suppressed a shiver that had little to do with the cool evening air. It was a towering edifice in high Gothic style, all pointed arches, circular windows, and dark, polished granite. Stone gargoyles sat perched over the doorway, glaring balefully down at any supplicants who dare descend the steps to the front entrance. A wrought-iron fence enclosed a small yard, a rare thing on the street here in Metamore City. But then, everything about the building defied convention. Though it sat in the shadow of skyscrapers hundreds of meters high, the ancient structure remained defiantly proud, standing out among the warehouses and factories of the street like a cold, hard gemstone amid a pile of scattered refuse and rusty, discarded tools. It was a building designed to provoke awe. And, Abby thought, fear. Yo, lady! The cabbie called out the window. The meat is still running, babe. 
Oh, sorry, Abby said, giving him a brief smile she didn't feel. She glanced at the meter, fished out two twenty-mark bills from her pocket, and passed them through the window. Thank you again. No problem, the man said, giving her a casual salute with the tips of his first two fingers. You have yourself a good day, miss. He leaned forward and looked up dubiously at the building outside. And uh, watch your back, eh? Thank you, I will. The taxi skimmer flew off, headed for the nearest available lift back to the upper levels of the city. Abby shouldered her duffel and headed into the fenced yard and up the steps, trying to ignore the gaze of the stone figures overhead. As she stepped into the archway before the front doors, she felt a sudden shift of perspective. Darkness, cold and heavy, thick like smoke, sharp white teeth hanging overhead and jutting from below, like walking into a predator's throat. And then her hand was on the door handle. She stopped and closed her eyes, willing her racing heart to calm itself, shuddering at the chill that seemed to go all the way to her bones. She brushed a lock of gold and brown-streaked hair out of her face, wiping away the cold sweat that had suddenly broken out on her forehead. Steady, Abby, she told herself. You can do this. You have to. Taking one more deep breath, she opened the door and stepped inside. Miss Preston? Abby looked up as a short, gray-haired woman, perhaps in her late fifties, approached her from a narrow side corridor. She was dressed in severe, traditional garments of black and white, with the emblem of the yew tree prominently embroidered on the front of her outer robe. She gave Abby a brief smile, very prim and reserved. She looked up and down at Abby as she approached, sizing her up with keen blue eyes. Abby sensed genuine compassion there, but it was partly veiled behind a sharp analytical mind and an air of professional detachment. Abby felt vaguely uncomfortable, as if parts of her were being sorted and filed away for future reference. She managed to smile anyway. Yes, she said, bowing to the older woman. Please, call me Abby. You must be Mother Annabelle. That's right, she replied, bowing briefly in return. You may call me Mother Anna if you wish. Welcome to St. Teresa's School and Halfway House. Why don't I show you where you can set down that bag of yours, and then I'll give you the tour. That sounds good. Thank you. They stepped out of the lobby and into a high, soaring cathedral, the sort of place that people just didn't build anymore. Abby felt small and insignificant as they walked down the center aisle, headed for the doors at the back of the hall. Impressive, isn't it? Mother Anna said her voice full of pride. St. Teresa's used to be the central chapel for the diocese, you know, built over 700 years ago, after the citadel was formed and Metamore City expanded into the surrounding valley. She waved a hand in mild irritation. Of course, after all those awful skyways went up and people forgot how to live with their feet on the ground, the bishop ordered a new cathedral to be built higher up. But I like to think we found our mission down here helping poor young girls like yourself to find their way again. They passed out of the cathedral and into a long, narrow corridor, dimly lit by chandeliers and decorated in rich, warm reds and darker earth tones. Mirrors lined the walls, interspersed with yew-tree crucifixes and icons of the saints, 
giving the impression that the passage was wider than it actually was. The doors along the corridor were a dark, heavy wood with cast-iron handles. To Abby, it felt like stepping centuries back into the past. She caught her own reflection in a mirror as they walked past. She was rather plain-looking, with dark brown eyes, a heart-shaped face, and slightly pudgy cheeks that made her look substantially younger than her nineteen years. She was of average height, about a hundred and sixty-seven centimeters, and while she wasn't technically overweight, she was not what most men would call slender, either. Her stomach still stuck out a little where it had once been distended, an inevitable consequence of on her knees, clutching her swollen belly, warm, sticky wetness seeping out around her hands and dribbling down her back, five neat little holes inside her, long, slender fingers like knives dripping blood. She stumbled, putting one hand to the wall and the other to the pale white scars across her belly. Mother Anna had stopped and was looking back at her, frowning. "'Abby, dear, are you all right?' Abby reached under the hem of her shirt and ran her fingers along the scars. Three scars, not five. Three scars. That's not how it happened, she whispered, leaning heavily on the wall for support. Three times, three times, not five. She shook her head, and the motion felt almost meaningless against the violent trembling that ran through her whole body. Not five. Knife, not fingers. In, but not through. Not real. Not real. Mother Anna reached for her hand. Abby, honey, what's... Don't touch me! Abby shouted, backing away and holding her hands up. You... You don't want to touch me. Not now. She shook her head again. Not now. Not safe. She closed her eyes, took a deep breath, let it out, took another... Not safe, she whispered. There was a pause. Oh, all right, Mother Anna said at last. You must be very tired, dear. Why don't you come with me? We'll take your bag up to your room, and then we can get you something to drink. A glass of water? Maybe some hot tea? Is that all right? Abby took a few more deep, heavy breaths, then nodded. All right. All right. Mother Anna turned and led the way down the corridor. They turned right at an intersection, then went up a set of stairs to the second floor. It was a stark contrast to the first floor. Everything here was cool and clean. Pale yellow walls and floors of linoleum, and short, institutional carpets in an unremarkable shade of brown. The windows let in what little light managed to filter down to the street through the skyways above, but the only view to be seen was the fenced-in yard below and the smooth, pale gray edifice of the super skyscraper next door. Evidently, they were now somewhere on the south side of the school complex, which had been to Abby's right when she faced the entrance. There was a little sitting room here, with some couches, chairs, and coffee tables, and another yew-tree crucifix on the wall. Abby was pretty sure there had been at least one inside at all times since she entered the building. There was a small TV with a vid disc player in one corner of the room, and at the moment two girls were sitting and watching cartoons. One of them was on the floor with her legs crossed, only a meter or so from the screen. The other was on one of the couches, her obviously pregnant body bolstered on all sides by throw pillows. 
Neither one of them could have been older than fifteen. Abby looked away, not wanting to risk eye contact right now. She was just getting calmed down. No need to do anything that might set it off again. To either side of the sitting room was a long hallway, lined with numbered doors spaced at regular intervals. Unlike the doors downstairs, these were no more than fifty years old, made of steel with small inset windows and fully modern locks. Each door had a low, hinged flap on the bottom, tall enough for a tray with a few dishes on top. Mother Anna must have noticed Abby looking at the doors. Meals are normally taken together in the cafeteria, she said, as they continued walking down the right branch of the hallway. Breakfast is from 7 to 8.30, lunch from 11.30 to 1, and supper from 5 to 6.30. You have kitchen duty once a week and a regular rotation. If you miss a meal, you're out of luck until the next one. Services are held in the chapel at 6.30 in the morning and 4 in the afternoon, and attendance is mandatory. Classes are held from 8.30 to 11.30 and 1 to 4, Monday through Friday. Saturday is reserved for chores in and around the building, and Sunday is our day of rest. You have free time every evening from 6.30 until 8.30, unless additional chores are required of you. Lights out at 9 o'clock. Okay, Abby said, nodding. So why are there flaps on the doors? Some of our girls have special needs, Mother Anna said evenly. Sometimes that means they are unable to eat with the other students. Because they're dangerous? Abby asked. There are any number of reasons, Anna said, keeping her eyes fixed straight ahead. Every girl is different. It's best that you not read anything into it. Abby just nodded and kept walking. A moment later, they came to a stop at door number 267. A small metal frame next to the door held a white card with four lines on it. One of the lines read Hartman, Jenna, in neatly written block letters. The other lines were blank. Mother Anna glanced inside, then knocked twice and opened the door. Inside were two sets of bunk beds, one against each wall, each with a footlocker at the end near the door. At the far end of the room was a single window and a nightstand that was shared by both sets of beds. Another of the ubiquitous crucifixes was mounted on the left wall, and a canticle sat on the nightstand next to a few notepads and pens. On the top bunk on the right side, a girl a couple of years younger than Abby lay on her stomach, propped up on her elbows and reading a book. Her feet swung back and forth, knees flexing and extending with the restless energy of youth as her long, pointed tail drew lazy circles in the air. Her skin was a deep tan with a vaguely ruddy cast that Abby had rarely seen. Her hair was straight, thick, and black, and cut off just above her shoulders. Abby could see long, pointed ears poking through her hair, and a pair of short, stubby horns protruding from just above her forehead. The girl looked over to the door, her exotic yellow eyes lighting up as they fell on Abby. She grinned. Hey, she said. Abby smiled uncomfortably, not quite looking the other girl in the eyes. Hi. Jenna, this is Abby, Mother Anna said. She's going to be your roommate for the next week, while she decides whether she wants to join us for a more extended duration. I trust that I could count on you to help her get settled in? Sure thing, Mother, Jenna said, hopping down to the floor with remarkable agility. Here, let me take that bag for you. 
Abby took the duffel off her shoulder and passed it to Jenna, who stepped over to the bunk beds opposite her own. You like top or bottom? she asked. Top gets the locker, bottom gets the space under the bed. Bottom, please, Abby said. That's good, Jenna said, because I love being on top. She winked, then set the duffel on the lower bunk. Anything special you want me to show her, mother? she asked. If the older woman noticed the subtext, she made no sign of it. Not right now, dear. We're going to leave Abby's things here for now while I show her around. I'll be sure to have her back before lights out, so you two have a chance to get to know each other a little bit. Jenna's eyes swung down the length of Abby's body and back up again. A similar action to what Mother Anna had done upon first meeting her, but with entirely different undertones. I can't wait, she said, winking again. Abby turned and walked out the door, followed closely by Mother Anna. She seems... friendly, Abby said. Jenna is one of our long-term residents here at the school, Anna said, her voice warm with approval. She's so helpful, doing more than her share of chores, showing the new girls around, always making new friends. Abby didn't doubt that for a minute. Why is she here? Her mother died when she was three, and her father wasn't fit to raise a child, Anna said. We took her in and raised her here. It's hard to find good homes that would be tolerant of Jenna's mixed ancestry. In another year she'll be old enough to leave if she likes, but I'm hoping she'll stay on and help part-time while she goes to university. Living here would certainly be more spiritually healthy for her than being in some godless dormitory. Abby resisted the urge to roll her eyes. Makes sense, she said instead. But if she loves people so much, why doesn't she have any roommates? Normally she does, but since she has seniority among the girls and needs little observation, she gets precedence when vacancies crop up. Besides, we like to keep her available to help acclimate new students whenever possible. And there have been a lot of vacancies lately? Mother Anna's mouth settled into a thin line. A few more than usual, yes. Abby wrung her hands awkwardly. I heard a rumor that there have been some deaths here in the last few months, she said. Suicides. Abby, dear, you shouldn't listen to rumors, Anna said chidingly. People tell all sorts of crazy stories about life on the street. Come on now, and I'll show you the cafeteria. Not waiting for Abby to reply, Mother Anna quickened her step and passed in front of her, heading down the hallway. Abby watched her walk away. Watched it walk away, leaving her in a pool of her own blood, pausing in the doorway, turning back, mad yellow eyes glowing, jaws grinning, teeth shining like needles, knife-like fingers red and dripping. It giggles as she falls to the floor. The floor rushed up suddenly, smacking against her cheek and arms as she went skidding across the linoleum. Mother Anna was looking back at her, frowning again. Are you all right, dear? Shaking, Abby struggled to her feet, bracing herself against the wall. I I'm fine, she managed, brushing her hair out of her eyes again. I just tripped. Well, be careful, honey. These floors can be slippery. She turned and began walking off, more slowly this time so Abby could catch up. After taking a moment to calm her pounding heart, she did so.
Abby made it through the rest of the tour without experiencing any further episodes. Mother Anna offered her a drink when they reached the cafeteria, but she declined. She wasn't really thirsty, and she was already starting to recover from the last incident. She wasn't sure if it was affecting her less strongly than before, or if she was just becoming more accustomed to processing the emotions involved. Either way, it seemed to be getting somewhat easier to deal with. After the cafeteria, Anna showed her the classrooms, the large communal showers used by the students, the nurse's office, and the gardens behind the cathedral, where many of their chores took place. Surprisingly, there was even a skyball court beyond the gardens that was open to the students, though it was a relatively primitive one with only three-meter-high targets and no love pads or jump platforms. They got back to her room shortly after eight, and Mother Anna left her in Jenna's care. By that time, it had been over half an hour since her last episode, and she was actually beginning to feel relaxed. So, what brings you here? Jenna asked. She was sitting on the edge of one of the lower bunks, watching as Abby unpacked a few of her things. Abby paused and considered. I've been seeing things, she said. Visions, I guess. Hallucinations, whatever. I'm hoping to find out why so I can make it stop. Uh Uh-huh. And what makes you think coming here is going to help? A friend asked me to check it out, Abby said. He thought my coming here would give a fresh perspective on things. Anyway, I thought you liked it here. I do, Jenna said, smiling lasciviously. People always coming and going and coming around here. Lots of new friends to meet. She rose from the bed and took a step in Abby's direction, which is about all it took to cross the room. After the old ladies go to bed, we'll make sure you get a more proper introduction to how things work around here. She reached out a hand, placing it on Abby's shoulder. Don't touch me, Abby snapped, backing away, her hands going up defensively and almost curling like claws in front of her. Jenna backed off, shocked at her reaction. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Need some time to work into things? Fine, I get that. A little bit of her former smile crept back onto her face. You're missing out, though. If you decide to stick around, you'll see what I mean. Abby sighed. You don't understand, she said, shaking her head. It's not safe for you to touch me. The other girl bristled at that. Oh, come on, that's bullshit. It's not like I'm seeping acid or anything. You don't like hell babies, just say so. I'm a big girl, I can take it. That's not it, Abby said, shaking her head. I don't care that you're part Daedra. I've met tieflings before, it doesn't bother me. Then what? You got something against girls liking girls? Honey, there's three million people in this city who can change sexes at the drop of a hat. Gender roles ain't exactly what they used to be. (laughs) Jeez, you come from the Flatlands or something? That's not it either. When I said it wasn't safe, I meant for you. She swallowed, then looked up. I'm a telepath. Jenna's eyebrows went up. For real? Abby nodded. For real. No shit. So why is it dangerous for me to touch you? Abby shrugged. Skin-to-skin contact enhances telepathic powers, sometimes more than we can control. Next thing you know, you're seeing into me, and I'm seeing into you. She looked away. No more secrets. No more lies. Goes deep enough, and there's no more me and no more you. Just us. Wow. 
sounds intimate, Jenna purred. You have no idea, Abby murmured. She shook her head. But it's like rape if you're not ready for it. Besides, the things I have floating around in my mind right now, you don't want that inside of you. Trust me. Jenna came over and sat down on the other bed, facing her. Okay, I think I get it, she said, leaning down and cocking her head to look into Abby's eyes. Her expression was serious and thoughtful. No touching, at least until you get this mind job of yours sorted out. Anything I can do to help? I'm not sure yet, Abby admitted. You know about the suicides that have happened here these last few months? Jenna frowned. Yeah, of course. Why, do you think there's a connection to these visions of yours? My friend thinks so, anyway. It's at least worth looking into. Did you know the girls who died? I know everyone here, Jenna said, but Abby could tell that the innuendo was pure reflex. There was no humor in the words. Trisha, Maya, and Sanji. Trisha was here for eight years, Maya for two. Sanji was the new kid. She'd only been here a month, and it was after Trish and Maya were already gone. So, yeah, I knew them. How did they die? Abby asked. Jenna shrugged listlessly. Her body language as numb as her voice. It was a dramatic shift from her earlier demeanor. Obviously, she didn't like talking about this. Trisha stole a knife during kitchen duty, stuck into the showers at night and slit her wrists. Maya hung herself with her bed sheets. Sanji was half-demon. She drank a dozen bottles of holy water she found in one of the supply cabinets. She shook her head. They tried to pump her stomach, but it was too late. Gods, I'm sorry, Jenna. Jenna shrugged. Not your fault. Did they have any history of depression? Any reason they would do that to themselves? Jenna snorted, a bitter and joyless sound. Abby, you don't end up in a place like this unless you're screwed up in one way or another. I'm one of the lucky ones. My only problem is no decent family wants to adopt an incubus's kid, no matter how much you say you've reformed her. There's girls who come in here pregnant at 13, running from abusive families, strung out on rain or spell fire, or so fucked up by some street wolf's mind control spells that they can't even remember their own names anymore. I saw a kid come in here once who had so many fallen riding on her that she spent every night thrashing around on the floor, screaming. They had to call in some exorcist guy from the Citadel to fix that one, and the old lady spent years afterward fixing up the mess those bastards left behind inside her. She spread her hands outward. Everybody here's got a reason to be depressed, Abby. Only difference between them is what they choose to do about it. Me? I choose to look on the bright side of things. You let yourself start thinking about all the ways the world sucks, you'll go crazy. Doesn't matter who you are. Abby nodded thoughtfully. So you've got a girl who's been dealing with it okay for eight years, she mused. What makes her snap? What changes? I don't know, Jenna said darkly. But you find it, you let me know so I can kick its ass. Trisha was my best friend. Abby laid back on her bed and sighed wearily. Deal. Whatever it is, if it has an ass, you'll be first in line to kick it. She paused, frowning as the thought struck her. Did you say your dad was an incubus? Yeah, so? 
So correct me if I'm wrong, but Inky's kids are born looking human, right? And then they turn into Incubi and Succubi when they hit puberty. Right? Jenna's eyes were starting to twinkle again. Evidently, she approved of the change in topic. Now, Mother Anna said you had a mixed ancestry, so I assumed she meant you were a tiefling. But if what we just said is true, then you're a full-blooded succubus, right? Not half-human. Jenna smirked. Normally, yeah, you'd be right. But if you catch a sucky before she hits puberty, and you do the right sort of magic on her, you can sometimes keep her from changing completely. She still ends up with some of the Daedra heritage in her looks, but if you do it just right, you can keep her essence human. No mystical powers of seduction, and no need to have sex to feed on other people's life force. Wow. Cool. I guess, Jenna said, non-committally. She lay back on the bunk, staring up at the one above her. There was a brief silence. So, Abby said, did it work? Did they do it? just right? Jenna looked over and gave her a sly grin. Mother thinks so, and that's all that matters. Ah, no wonder you wanted to get in my pants. You're hungry. It's okay, Jenna said easily, waving a hand. It'll be lights out soon, and I'll have lots of other opportunities. In the meantime, if you want to brush your teeth before bed, you'd better hurry. It's a good time to shower, too, if you don't like dealing with a big crowd in the mornings. Good point, Abby said, getting to her feet again and rummaging for her toiletries bag. You going to shower now, too? Nah, Jenna said, grinning. I like the crowd in the mornings. Things get so much more interesting when there are two dozen naked bodies involved. Abby shook her head, amazed. I can't believe Mother Anna hasn't caught on to you yet. Jenna shrugged. People see what they want to see. Mother's raised me for as long as I can remember. She doesn't want to deal with what I am, and I'm not interested in forcing her. Besides, I do try to be good. I don't hurt anybody, or take more energy than they can afford to give. And I'm not really into leading people down the primrose path to destruction or whatever. Most people are plenty perverse enough without my help. Worst I do is dial down their inhibitions a little. Most ways, I'm just a chick trying to figure things out like everybody else. She shrugged again. But birds gotta fly. Fish gotta swim. Cheetahs gotta run. And Sucky's gotta screw, Abby finished. It's my meal ticket, honey. No shame in being what I was made to be, right? You above all people should know that. Abby smiled, and it was probably the most genuine smile she'd had all day. Nodding to Jenna, she went to take her shower. Whatever else happened, she knew now that she did not want to be in there tomorrow morning. It just made her feel funny watching someone else eat. And that's where we're going to stop for this week, folks. Come back next time for part two, when Abby meets a shade and we learn more about Abby's past. Steve Martin said... Writer's block is a fancy term made up by whiners so they can have an excuse to drink alcohol. So, pour me a double and let's take another crack at this. Here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 3,046 words this week, over the course of five hours, for an average writing speed of 609 words per hour. 
As of Friday night, I have gone 103 days without breaking my chain. This week I went back to working on Operation Ibex, my Artax spy adventure story. I'm now in Chapter 6, and the story is up over 12,000 words. I didn't get as much writing done this week, because I was busy working on some tax and accounting stuff for Liminal Corvid Press. It's been a good year for the business, thanks mostly to the generous support of my Patreon subscribers. I did get a nice bump in royalties from the release of the audiobooks for Things Unseen and Divine Intervention, but that tapered off pretty fast. I think I really need to get more books out in audio before I'm going to see any sustained sales. That's why I've cut back on airing my interview episodes, even though I still have some great interviews that I'm looking forward to bringing you. I need to get the professional audio finished for Urban Legends so I can release it to market. Looking back at the month of September, I wrote a total of 22,794 words. That's obviously a big drop from August, when I was writing like the proverbial wind, but it's still in my top 10 most productive months since I started doing this. I wrote on all 30 days in September, averaging 760 words per day, and racking up a total of 30.25 hours of writing time. Compared to August, my word count decreased by 36%, and my writing time decreased by 32%. Over on the Patreon feed, we have two new patrons this week. Please welcome Lucy and Steve. Remember, becoming a patron is the single best thing you can do to support me as a writer and help me to keep making this show. For just a dollar a month, you get cool bonus art from artists like Randall Fulton and Ben Clifford, plus my exclusive author commentaries on the stories. For $3 a month, you also get early access to bonus content, like sneak peeks, art previews, and cover reveals. Or, for $10 a month, you can join my creative council and help me decide what stories to work on next. If you're already a patron, thank you so much for your support. And if you're not a patron yet, why not join more than a hundred other metamorphs in helping to make this good stuff happen? Just head over to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester and make a pledge today. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorphcityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and my Twitter handle is Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. If you like this show, take a minute and leave a review on Apple Podcasts makes a big difference in helping people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2004 and 2017 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.